S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Sammy Rye. Episode 150. Another milestone. No big deal. We're going to keep it moving. This week, I have a whole editorial I did. I did this long segment breaking down all the male and female characters in the MCU. This, this came up in a conversation. And I said, I have to. Put an end to this. I went and did an in-depth research on this. I found all the data. How many male characters, how many female characters are in the MCU currently? How many of them are significant? What is going on with public perception? Is this a real thing? Also found some other studies on this. And I got a lot of data, put it together, wrote this whole thing out for you guys. Hope you enjoy that long segment. It is packed with useful information, I think. Very proud of it. Probably my biggest segment on the podcast ever that I... Really, really thought, you know, I did well. So there you go. I hope you like that. Also, we're going to talk about the Disney Fortnite deal. We're going to start the podcast off with that. Um, Amazing deal. Um, What I kind of talked about when it comes to art and business on the show for a long time. Disney's at the forefront. Epic's at the forefront. And yeah, this deal is, is groundbreaking. You guys need to get into the game. You need to get in there now. This is the future. You're going to regret missing out on all this stuff. I, I guarantee it. I'm saying it for two years, and it's only going in the direction I've been calling. And then also we're going to talk about you know games that are really, really hard. They're starting to get an easy mode. There's games like Elden Rings and Dark Souls. These games are notoriously hard, and they should be hard. That's awesome. But there's a lot of beautiful art and stories and fun spectacle in these games. That I think a lot of people miss out on because it's not really accessible in any kind of way. There's no separate mode or setting. Just let you go in there and have fun. And there's a cool game coming out now that's going to solve that problem. We'll talk about that too. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Let's go. So I already finished the podcast, and right before I hit upload, I had to record a new segment about something else that just happened that's awesome. I'm going to put this in the front of the podcast, so if I reference anything else that said it was the front, I'm sorry, this is the new front of the podcast. Disney today announced that they have purchased 10% of Epic Games, and with that, it's going to be a big um, you know, multi-year plan, multi-year collabo that they're doing with Fortnite. I've been saying this podcast for two years. I've been talking about how I love art and business. And at the forefront, when I think of the people who are winning in art and business are Disney and Fortnite. Um, is there anyone else I could think of that I really want to talk about? So they are dominating. I think Universal is kind of like, you know, coming up behind them sometimes. Universal does some pretty good things. Shout out to Bloomhouse. I like what Bloomhouse does in the horror genre. But it is no question to me that I feel like mankind as a collective... The pinnacle of art comes from Fortnite and comes from Disney films overall. Does that mean no one else makes good films? Does that mean no one else makes good games? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying on average, consistently, for the last five or ten years, um, the, the product that's come out that, in, that shows the best example of art and business, how one can go with the other, how money can lead to great art, and great art can bring you money. You don't have to rob anybody. You don't have to rip them off. You can just try your best. Is it perfect? I'm not saying it's perfect. It has given us a consistent, something that you can depend on for the most part. Most of the time, it's always going to be there. And a lot of the times, it's extremely phenomenal. I've been predicting for two years, Fortnite is going to be the future of everything. Everything. And I think with this deal... Epic Games and, of course, Disney are moving themselves into a position where no matter what, they will be the future 
of entertainment. They're going to control entertainment for the rest of mankind. I do not see anything uh, short of a meteor or something like that falling out the sky, um, global pandemic, you know, giant crisis. There's no, um, an act of God, basically. There's nothing that can stop them at this point. Shout out to other companies. I think there's other great companies out there that can, you know, can step it up and bring some products and, and do some things. But we cannot stop. And we can't deny that in 2024, this is just a, this is like a slaughter, right? This is just, this is just horrible, right? I like Netflix a lot. Netflix is huge. I think Netflix is also in a position because it has such a strong, you know, a stronghold on, on, you know, the subscriber base. And I think their, their deal with WWE Raw is huge. It's so huge for Raw. I just learned that they have an option after that five years to renew that contract for 10 years. And I 100% think Netflix is going to renew that contract without even that first episode coming out. I'm, I'm saying that Raw and WWE and Netflix are going to be friends for a very long time, at least 15 years. Um, and that's going to be great for WWE. That's going to be great for Netflix. So there are companies out there winning. There's a lot, I have a lot of love for a lot of these companies that are showing that you can... You can make money and make awesome things. I do not like, I am sick of art that doesn't make money. I don't think that, um, that it's, it's not, it is not really a place for it in my, in my, um, in my life, right? And I, I, I love when I come across a beautiful piece of art that didn't make any money. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. I just think at this point, people should be stepping up and trying their best to figure out how to succeed on both fronts. I think it's lazy when you just want to make a product and rip people off. I think it's lazy when you just want to make art and you put no effort into trying to figure out a way to take it to the people who are supposed to appreciate this art and then ask for you know some kind of financial return that's reasonable. Epic Games does that. Um, I think they're their whole situation they have with Apple, I think, is for the betterment of mankind. I think, you know, it helps break up a little bit of that monopoly. At the same time, I think that, you know, this deal with Disney and this mode that they're first going to feature is their first step into the metaverse. And I've been saying for a long time, there's only one metaverse, and it's going to be Fortnite. Um, other companies will have products. People might invest and buy land in these metaverses. People might start some things. It doesn't matter. It's already a done deal. They, they, they stole your children's minds five years ago. I watched them do it with creative and all the things they laid down, teaching your kids how to make games. Your kids in high school will be making games the same way that they're making TikToks nowadays um, in 15, 20 years. And all of that now is under a big portion of that is under Disney using those products, leveraging their IPs to let those kids make worlds based on their properties like Frozen, Lilo, and Stitch, and some other ones they mentioned. Um, this is something that I think even adults are going to want to get involved with, right? There's been games like Disney Infinity that didn't really catch on. There's games like um, you know, the, the Avengers game recently that was a live service game that didn't really catch on. Uh, when I started playing Fortnite, it was during the Marvel season. And one of the funnest things I thought was... Um, they had a mode where you can use these different superpowers. And since, you know, Fortnite doesn't own the, those characters, it was just for like a limited time. Now, I'm hoping that mode comes back or modes like it. I thought that Fortnite was the best superhero game. Uh, it was the only game I ever played where you could actually use the powers of the hero in a fun, meaningful way to beat people and do things. It felt very cool. Big open world with a map that's always changing. And Fortnite's come so far in the last few years. They're basically on Fortnite Part 3 with the upgrades to the Unreal Engine. The things they can do with the maps now, the maps look even more impressive. And the things people can do in creative are even more phenomenal. 
Um, with this being said, Lego Fortnite is getting a giant update. Um, all kinds of content is coming to the game. Uh, I can't even go over all of it. It's just simply just too much. You got to look it up. And um, in Fortnite Creative, my daughter was showing me today, they added a whole lot of modes, a whole lot of new features. One was um, like Resident Evil. You could set up fixed cameras and make a game where you have a fixed camera game, but your characters move separate from the camera. That's game changing. It's a whole new genre of horror games you can now start making in Fortnite Creative right now. It's free. It's live. You can go do it right now. Um, I'm sure other people are making cool mo games and stuff like that. You can go play right now. And then um, the last thing that, that I don't want anyone to forget about is now in Fortnite and Creative, you can sit down in chairs. Sitting down in chairs is a big deal. I've been standing up in Fortnite for five years. My characters are tired. I mean, it is funny because there's these, these different modes that are just like hangout modes. And you're always dancing and emoting, kind of just standing around because you can't sit down. So they have these bars and all these things. And your characters can't do like in The Sims where they're kind of just acting like you're hanging down or hanging out people. Everyone's always standing up and doing something. Sometimes you want to just relax and like chat or just, you know, chill. Um, I like in the band mode, you can like you know, sit still and you can just play your instruments, right? Um, and now I think it's great that in Fortnite Creative, it's kind of a joke, but I'm also kind of really excited about the fact that you can sit down in chairs. Um, it's another, you know, going to open up again even more experiences and things that you can do. Um, and that's, I mean, that's be a, a deal breaker. Once they put all the different RPG elements in there and they start making it so that you can have like the Sims Inside Fortnite, you can play those kind of games, simulator kind of games. The Sims is a giant, giant franchise. It's all just a matter of time. And that's what people do not understand. This is a done deal. There's no stopping this. It's only getting bigger. I've been talking about this for two years. And one day, people are going to come back and listen to the episodes. And I'm going to say, look, see, I told you. I told you. And this is why you guys should be listening to Samuel Rye and listen to the podcast. I'm trying to tell you guys about this. You know, don't put your money. My, my daughter started playing Roblox. Which is, it has its benefits. There's some things I think are really cool about robots and they, they do it right. But, um, you know, we're not putting any money in that game. I'm not buying a single skin. I'm not playing a dollar on it because I know that there's no future in that game. That game one day will have to shut down or be bought by someone else. Um, or maybe they might carve out their own little space in the metaverse, you know, or their version of the metaverse. But it is going to pale in comparison. And over the years, it's just not going to make sense. It's not going to be any reason to go to Roblox Unless you grew up in a household that you played Roblox the whole time and you don't want to let it go. Um, yeah, Fortnite's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is, this is a, again, a game-changing deal. And it's crazy when you consider that, like, Disney, you know, has Star Wars and Disney has Marvel. My son was saying, um, you know, they're, they're starting to get a monopoly. And I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's not legally a monopoly because they keep on spreading out to these different, you know, um, mediums. And um, they're just innovating. And this is the thing I think Disney always gets right. It doesn't matter if every single film is perfect or if Fortnite has every season is perfect. Both these companies have showed a consistent dedication to trying to do whatever it takes to make more money, but without robbing people. We're trying to create cool events. This, this new mode that they have or this metaverse world that they, they're creating, it looks like a virtual Disney world. Why haven't we already had a virtual Disney world? It's taken forever, right? So it's taken forever. Now that we're here... I think that um, this is monumental. So I'm not going to, you know, you know, give you guys too much about this now, um, except for, you know, go add your Unreal items, the free Unreal items for the month to your cart. Go ahead and log into your Fortnite account, update your accounts, um, watch some tutorials if you're interested in making creative. Um, you can sell things in this new metaverse place that they're creating. I wouldn't be surprised if they start making a way that you can sell things through your Fortnite experiences and you'll have your... Ability to make your own little piece of the pie in the in the metaverse. 
it's all coming and learning about it now is not going to hurt you later. Um, that's my take on it. We're going to move on to the rest of the podcast. So this week, I want to talk about a game that seems very interesting to me, not only because of the art of the game, because it looks beautiful, but because of the business decision that's being made here that I've said several times before in the show, this is something that people should be doing with these type of games. So I purchased Elden Ring right out the gate. Elden Ring, I think, is a really fun game, and there's really enough in Elden Ring to do where it doesn't matter the fact that there isn't multiple difficulty options in Elden Ring. Elden Ring is beautiful, um, and if you play hard enough and you grind, there are kind of ways you can get past some of the tough parts. I've gotten, I got pretty far, I think, in Elden Ring. Um, but games like Elden Ring, um, uh, Sekiro, Nio, these these difficult games, Dark Soul games, um, they call them the Souls games, basically Bloodborne, uh, played a lot of these games. These games are made to be difficult on purpose. And the whole idea, if you don't know, is that back like on Nintendo, um, some of the more original games that people played, games used to be really hard. Um, and they were hard on purpose because, you know, they wanted you to try again and try again and have extra lives and continues because the game couldn't really be long and be an entire experience. It made more sense to make a game that was very challenging that would make a kid play over and over again and get your money worth out of the, you know, the entertainment value for the game. Um, after that, you know, his game's design improved. I think I would, I would say I think most people would agree, and games became more possible, or more more playable, more accessible to more people. They made it so games had more options and different kinds of games that you can play. They didn't have to be so hard. And with that, some gamers miss the challenging game, right? And at that we saw a big emergence of these kind of games, big popularity come back to those kind of games when they made Dark Souls. It was a very difficult game. It kind of broke all the modern conventions of, you know, gameplay design. Didn't tell you necessarily what you had to do. It didn't have a marker saying, hey, go here, go there. You kind of figured it out for yourself. And it was very refreshing. And I always say this about any market that you're in. If everyone's going one place and people are complaining, oh, I hate that everything is in one place, that's a clear indication that you or whoever that's interested can go to the other place. You can make another direction. You may not become the most popular thing, but there's a lane there for you. There's something else that you can do to innovate because there are people who want that thing and no one's currently serving them that thing. With that being said... As successful as Elden Ring was, probably the most successful out of all those games, um, and I guess it makes sense because, again, they teamed up with the creator of Game of Thrones, um, had great art design, the games already have great art design, um, and then they had some really unique things they did after all the games they made where they made an Elden Ring you can play as almost like any kind of character that you can make based on all the other kind of you know characters they had in other games. It all came together and they built off of that. Um, Again, Elder Ring was a huge, huge success, a lot of hype behind that. Coming also, I think Game of Thrones finale um, was kind of just done around that time. So Game of Thrones, the you know, the, the creator of, of Game of Thrones at the all-time high. Good, good publicity. You know, um, Team Ninja, I believe, is an Asian company, teaming with one of the best, you know, American writers maybe of our time, or at least one of the most popular ones. Huge success. And a game still doesn't have an easy mode. I never understood that. I thought at some point they'd add an easy mode simply because there is so much spectacle. There's so much beautiful things to see. So many crazy bosses that you could fight and have fun while doing it without having to do the the very time, you know, consuming and um, patience testing, 
you know, battling that you have to go through to beat some of those characters. While I 100% understand that that should be the default mode and that's what the whole game is about. There should be an option that for a child or someone who's more casual gamer can come along and play this game and also enjoy it. There's no reason not to enjoy it, right? So I was excited about a game coming out called Rise of the Ronin. Rise of the Ronin, I believe, is a PS5 exclusive game. I believe it's made by Team Ninja. Um, I think they're the ones behind Ninja Gaiden. I thought From Software actually made Elden Ring. Now I think about it, but my notes might be a little confusing here. Um, but Rise of the Ronin is looks like an open world um, samurai anime s game. Your character has a sword. I'm not sure if he's a ninja or a samurai. It looks like a samurai at a glance. Um, but there's some magical elements to it, and there is creatures and monsters that you can fight. So, um, I, I, the first I'm thinking Amanushi Warlords, which is an older samurai game where you fought demons. Um, and the fact that it's open world looks very cool. There's a grappling hook and system and, and a glider system, very similar to Batman Arkham Knight. It pretty much exactly like that. Also kind of like Tenchu a little bit, if you ever played Tenchu. So I'm excited about this game. They don't make a lot of Samurai Ninja games, you know, at all. Ghost of Tsushima was the last great, great, amazing, amazing game they made that had the, any of this kind of stuff. Um, and then I was kind of upset when I realized that Rise of the Ronin was going to be one of these Souls-types games. Or at least a game that's supposed to be at least very difficult. Um, I thought, man, why pigeonhole yourself to do the same thing over and over again? It's 2024. You know, open up this game to more people. I believe Ghost of Tsushima has the easy mode, but that game isn't hard. It's on its default setting, really. Um, but it's a beautiful game. It's an experience. I, I really can't say enough how artistic Ghost of Tsushima is. Um, you know, it tells a great story in the landscape. It's just beautiful to explore. It's such a such a change of pace. And it's, it was a huge commercial success. So it's no surprise to me now that game companies are saying, oh, maybe we can go back into the samurai genre because it's a genre that I feel like they always skip. Um, that and ninja games are very rare, um, which is insane to me, considering all the anime and stuff that comes out of Japan. And the fact there's a lot of game companies that work out of Japan. They don't make those games a lot. But this, you know, was something that was bothering me. And I was like, man, I was looking forward to Rise of the Ronin. Um, and I went and looked it up and they're claiming that this game will have a a regular mode um, and a narrative mode and a, a hard mode. And I just, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and said, thank you. Thank you so much. Not again, because I want to just have a game for myself that has an easier mode that I could play through. I would love to play the harder mode. If it's if it's something where, um, you know, it gets, it gets, I get stuck or it's too challenging, then I'll drop it down and play the other mode. My point is, is this game most likely to be more commercially successful. And what that does with the art and business, I always talk about. When If you make money, if it's good business, then they'll make more games. So if Ghost of Tsushima is a commercial success and the Rise of the Ronin is a commercial success, we can see a lot more samurai ninja stories that come out um, that hopefully will also be successful. And then it kind of can bring that genre back. It was like zombie games. When they started making zombie games and zombie TV shows and these things were commercially successful, they made a ton of them. And eventually we started getting very complex detailed zombie games which is really cool because we weren't having that before um and that's what that's how the art and business always works you can't have one without the other you can't make a 250 million dollar video game if the company thinks it's not going to make money and if every time you put a samurai logo on something you feel like you have to do some super hard difficult game then people aren't going to play it right they're going to skip over it 
So I'm looking forward to Rise of the Ronin, and I'm also looking forward to an age where give the gamers more options. I believe there's there's never it's never going to hurt you to have more options. I remember my friend, my friends used to always play Madden. I think most of them still do, and I remember I played Madden. And I enjoyed Madden, but my friends would feel like they wanted more of a challenge. They thought by playing on the all Madden difficulty, which I believe is the hardest difficulty, that he gave them an experience similar to football on TV. No problem. That's that's what the difficulty was there for. And it's great that they had those those options. I even think there was like sliders you can go into and even customize it a bit further as to what the difficulty is. And that's kudos to Madden. Madden dominates its market. I do not understand how other games come out and don't see stuff like that and decide to not give you options. It doesn't make any sense. So check out Rise of Ronin. It's a game looking forward for um, for PS5. If you don't have a PS5, um, you know, you might, you might miss out on that one for now. But um, also, again, you know, look, look, think about that. Think about, you know, what other games out there do you guys know that you would like to see more versions of it, either a more difficult version or more easy version? What games do you feel like have criminally low amounts of options that should have way more options? Let me know in the comments. Hit me up on social media. Let's keep it moving. Music of the week. This week, I'm going to give you guys... Two sides to different coins, right? I'm going to give you something for, like, the rocker chicks. It's not for the hip-hop heads. Um, maybe something a little A and B for everybody to like, right? So song number one is by a group or a band named Levitica, and the song is called Zombie Barbie. I heard this song uh, this week. My wife listening to it. I thought it was pretty awesome. My daughter likes it. I think when the Barbie movie's out recently, it kind of fits into that meta thing that goes on in society sometimes. Very cool. It's not like, you know, maybe instantly classic, like, Barbie Girl from, like, Aqua or whatever. But even that song, I feel like that song's are, are, you know, inappropriate. Like, I don't like my daughter listening to that song. Um, it was funny when I was a kid. It's not funny as an adult, right? Um, but Zombie Barbie, I thought, was cool. At least what I've heard from it so far. I haven't broke down every lyric. Um, and my, my daughter, like, likes Wednesday Adams and all that goth stuff. So it, it hit perfectly for her. And I thought it was cool. I liked the energy from the track. Levitica, Zombie Barbie. For the hip-hop heads out there, I have to bring back an album that I think I've featured before on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I have. Um, and that's Logic's album, The Incredible Journey. I'm not a big Logic fan. Nothing against Logic. Um, I don't listen to all of his music. And maybe it's because I started with The Incredible Journey and all the other albums so far that I come across. I never sat down and listened to all of them, like, back to back. But just nothing's pulled me in and made me want to keep listening the way The Incredible Journey did for me. And that's a great thing. That's not a knock against Logic. That's me saying that, man... You made one of the greatest rap albums ever. And in 2024, it still hits like it's brand new. I think it's going to do that to the end of time. And um, I feel like he was calling his shots because he kind of talks about that on the album a little bit. But how that's the album that changed everything. I think it did. To me, it did. It is one of the greatest rap albums ever. And in one of the last great albums, you know, I think that even exists because it does such a good job at having a story and a narrative that goes across the album um, you know, it, it, I think he set the bar too high, honestly. It's just something I don't think, I don't think other rap albums can live up to that anymore. And I know that he put a lot of time and effort into thinking about how the skits and the music and everything would go together. The sounds, everything, it just feels like it's such a complete motion picture. Um, even though there's not necessarily one story or one narrative, it's all these different things that go together. It's a masterpiece. I don't, I'm gonna throw that word around there, but, um, I listened to it and it was kind of a nice day out in the middle of the winter. And it just hit, man. It hit great. You know, I know when the summer time comes, I'm going to throw it back on. Um, it's a shame because because of that album, I feel like I don't like a lot of other Logic's music. 
Um, and I always used to go back to that and babysit that album. And I'm sorry to be that way. But that's how great I think the album is. Give it a chance. Listen to it from front to back. Don't be on your phone. Maybe take a car ride listening to it. Try to really listen to it maybe even twice. I think that album can grow on anybody. Um, it's just so many great themes, so many great lyrics, and music is good. The skits are good. I love it, right? So that's my pick again. Um, probably second time on the podcast, at least, for, the, for Logic's The Incredible Journey album. But that's my music of the week. So I'm really excited about this next segment. I did an in-depth dive, a look at how many female characters have come into the MCU because I'm still hearing February 2024 that there's still this narrative being pushed around. There's a lot of female characters um, being dominating the MCU, taking over the MCU, rumors of an all-female Avengers movie, all these things that you hear going out there. So I was like, you know, where is this information coming from? What, what is really, you know, at the heart of all this issue? How do we quantify this? So what I did was I went through every single film and TV show in the current state of the MCU and came up with a list of every single actor or actress, male or female, in all the roles of all the characters, um, figured out how many they were, and then also made a second list we're going to go over where I actually go through and explain which of these characters are significant and which ones might be driving this narrative, right? Is it true? Is it a real thing? We got some numbers here. We got some data. Sammy Rye is going to break it down for you. Let's hop right into it. So, spoiler alert from the beginning. You see, you know the numbers here. We have 53 male actors in all the films and shows and 43 female actors. That's everybody. Major characters, minor characters, every character I can think of worth noting in any kind of way. Um, so there's a there's a slight edge, about 10 more male you know characters in the MCU that we're currently seeing on the screen. When I went through a list and said, oh, who are these significant characters? I found 30 male characters I thought were, you know, worthy of saying these are currently significant to the storyline. You know, I, I have personal favorites I left off the list. Just people I think these 30 characters I can say are the male characters people are going to be looking at. And this is what the MCU is made up for of the males right now. Um, and how many of these female characters are there? Are there more females or less female characters? that are more significant, getting more shine, more spotlight put onto them. And I found 29 females, almost down to the exact same number. Um, so definitely that's a giant increase over the first phase, but I definitely think Marvel's making a conscious effort to a more balanced MCU, almost to a ridiculous number. And I'm rounding up for females. I'm trying to find female characters and saying this one's important. I'm sure there's about five or six characters on my female list. You guys would think, ah, they're not really that important. But I was trying. I wanted to include everyone because I was really trying to basically make the case um, that there's too many females in the MCU, which is not my argument. I'm here to basically challenge that argument, but I want it to be fair and unbiased and really try to understand what these people are saying, right? So let's go ahead and hop into it. We're going to go over the list. I'm going to show you everyone on the list. I'm going to explain why everyone made this list. And also, so you know from the beginning, I did not include villains. There is an overwhelming amount of male villains versus female villains. It's not even close. So that would make it even more skewed. I kind of thought of the whole female Avengers thing, right? If that's what people are saying, if people are picturing, oh, where are my heroes? Where, where, why are there going to be a female Avengers team, which, which has not been confirmed? I said, like, well, mainly, mainly, I guess people are having a, an issue with the, the male heroes, or who identified as heroes and supporting characters, because when it comes to villains, 
there's like four female villains. It, it, uh, there, there's, I don't even know if you actually would even say that, right? It's a very small, small number. I also didn't really count what if the animated show, except for the ones that are extremely notable. So like The Watcher, I counted him because he's very important. Jeffrey Wright is awesome, big known actor. Um, and then I also counted um, Sharon Carter or Shannon Carter. I'm not sure, uh, but basically female Captain America. Um, and uh, Kahori. Kahori is a very prominent What If Season 2 character, the first original MCU character, a Native American woman, Native American powers. That's a character, even though it's a cartoon character, people could dress up as that character for Halloween. I could see people getting into that character. So I had to include them because we know when these things happen, these are the kind of characters that trend and everyone complains that there's too many female characters. So even though it's an animated character, I still included them. So again, rounding up. I also didn't include villains except for Scarlet Witch and Hela. The reason I included Scarlet Witch and Hela is because Hela was a positive or hero-like character in season two of What If, again, giving more attention to a female character. And while Scarlet Witch was a villain, she was a former hero and had a dominant, powerful role dominating the other characters. Out of all the female villains in the new phase, I definitely think that she is clearly beyond everyone else. And she had her own show in WandaVision. So again, Scarlet Witch might be someone that people are thinking, oh, this is another, you know, Marvel giving a lot of shine and attention to female characters. So I did include Scarlet Witch, even though she's a villain and technically wasn't was out of my criteria. So if you remove those five or six people, that list actually gets um, smaller and you still see an overabundance of male characters. But we're going to go through it. Let's go ahead and go through the whole list. That's all my disclaimers. Let's go. First list is just everyone who identifies as male, everyone who identifies as female, supporting characters included, every single person I could possibly think of. I went over every movie several times, every show several times. I might have missed someone, like like someone's aunt. I didn't, I didn't include Aunt May. I love Aunt May. Aunt May is a supporting character that matters. But honestly, if I did supporting characters, it would just get ridiculous because some of these, there's so many supporting characters. I left Flash Thompson off the list too. So that, that balances out, right? You know, the list is still by unbiased. You could always think of, well, who else is a supporting character that might be a boy or a girl? It's, it just goes infinitely into these movies. So I try to keep it to what we would all consider, I believe, the primary characters and their supporting characters that are directly connected to them that we see a lot in the MCU. For example, on the male list, we have Spider-Man and Ned. Um, on that female version of that list would be pretty much MJ. There isn't really a lot of female characters in those movies. Out of that criteria, I deem Spider-Man significant. I did not deem Ned or MJ significant, right? These are all the disclaimers. Let's go. Male list, 53 stars. Like 53 stars, actually, are actors or males or whatever. Here we go. Spider-Man, Ned, Shang-Chi, Hawkeye. Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Wong, Winter Soldier, Captain America, The New Falcon, U.S. Agent, Thor, Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Drax, Groot, Adam Warlock, Namor, M'Baku, Loki, Smart Hawk, Scar, Keoghan, Gilgamesh, Icarus, Phantos, Kingo, Pip the Troll, Eros. Those are all Eternals characters. Black Knight, Blade, Moon Knight, Vision, War Machine, Nick Fury, Agent Ross, Werewolf, Man-Thing, Daredevil, Punisher, Luke Cage, Mr. Fantastic, Thing, Human Torch, Deadpool, Wolverine, Beast, Professor X, Black Bolt, Colossus, The Century, Red Guardian, The Watcher, 
Those are all the people I included on the list for people that you can identify as male. Uh, I know Groot might be iffy. Maybe Groot's asexual. Um, and there's also characters like Howard the Duck, the Duck and Korg, which I'll mention them. Um, but again, I'm not sure where you would classify them necessarily. I guess Howard's a boy and Korg is a boy, um, but it's a rock. I'm not sure if Korg identifies as a, a rock. I think they're asexual, actually. So again, that's still basically 53. Maybe call it 55 if you want to include Korg and Howard the Duck. Now, there's other characters I left off this list completely um, that I have to mention because I do think they're worth mentioning. Um, Dr. Hank Penn, Jimmy Woo, um, Dr. Bill Foster, Odin, Hemdale, um, Fandrail, Volstag, and Hogan, the Warriors Three. Um, I left these guys off the list completely, and, but I wanted to mention them because they're awesome. Um, Odin, obviously, is super powerful, but he's not really in the current MCU. There might be a flashback or something to him. Same thing with Hemdale. Hemdale, very crucial um, at the beginning of Infinity War and um, in Thor you know, 3. and you know, I love Hemdale. But um, not really in the current MCU. They might be in What If, they might be in flashbacks, but you're not really seeing them a lot. Same thing with the Warriors 3. Um, and Dr. Bill Foster, Goliath, has a prominent role in What If. And Dr. Hank Pym um, is also used in What If. And Jimmy Woon was awesome. He was in WandaVision. But like those characters, again, have very brief appearances. And I want to shout them out because I love them. But I didn't include those characters on the 53 males. If I did still, that would give the males more because there are females I also left off the list, and I'm going to explain them too. Now, 43 female characters. MJ, Katie, from Shang-Chi, had to mention it because I love Aquafina, and I did not remember her name was Katie. <laughs> MJ, Katie, Kate Bishop, Stature, Wasp, Clea, America Chavez, Jane Foster, Love, who may be Singularity, they have not confirmed if that's who Love's going to be, Gamora, Nebula, Shuri, um, Nakia, Okeo, uh, Anika, Ironheart, Sylvie, Agatha, Yelena, She-Hawk, Cersei, Thena, Makari, Sprite, Layla, who might also be Scarlet Scarab. I don't think they called her that on Moon Knight, but she, I think she's Scarlet Scarab. Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, Spectrum, Gaia, Maria Hill, Elsa Bloodstone, Echo, Elektra, Iron Fist, the female version who's been confirmed. Jessica Jones, Invisible Woman. Vanessa from Deadpool. Yukio, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Ghost, Valentina Aguilera Del Fonte. Um, Sharon Carter, uh, Kahori. I already mentioned Scarlet Witch. And, um, I, and then there's some characters on here I left off. Cosmo I left off. Um, Becky Lynch, I had a, her part was cut from the films. But even that... You get 43, maybe 44, 45 female characters if you count Cosmo and, excuse me, Becky Lynch's character, um, you know, had a cut scene from the Eternals. She was supposed to appear with Eros. Um, they said she did a great job. So she might appear in future films, but um, I had to throw that in there, a little Easter egg. I really did the research for this one, right? Still, we have about 10 more male characters, no matter which way you cut it, maybe even a few more. And that's just in general. But I understand that that doesn't necessarily push public perception. Maybe the idea that, you know, for a few years, maybe two years, you're seeing She-Hawk having a show and you're not seeing, you know, Smart Hawk have a show. Maybe that influences perception because one person is getting a whole TV show, but a character like War Machine, for example, is just, you know, featured in a show called Secret Invasion. 
Um, you're not really seeing a lot of War Machine right now, even though War Machine's supposed to have his own movie or show later called Armored Wars. Um, so that could be a big reason why the public perception shifted one way, because currently the MCU is showing off a lot of female characters as they bring them out. But in total, this data shows these numbers are very balanced. And if not, there's still a little bit of a discrepancy where there's a few less females, about about 10% maybe, or 20% besides you looked at it, of uh, female characters in the MCU. Now, this next list I think is fun. It's the significant character list. So out of all the people I named, who did I deem significant and why? Because if you have a character like, you know, from the Eternals, for example, I liked uh, Gilgamesh, but Gilgamesh may not be something that people are thinking is a main, you know, male character. Oh, man, you know, the females got She-Hulk and we got Gilgamesh. That, again, it might not feel like that's, um, you know, a big thing because Gilgamesh doesn't have his own show. Just like a character like Wong, over time, that character could really be showcased to have a lot of cool powers and be able to do a lot of things. But maybe Gilgamesh hasn't got his shine yet, right? To use that one person off this list as an example. So some characters I deemed as noteworthy. So, you know, really important characters pushing the MCU forward. And other characters are supporting characters, which are also important, but just not the ones that I think are really influencing public perception, right? So we'll go through this. This is list number two. We have Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, Hawkeye, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Captain America, now, I left off U.S. Agent, New Falcon, Winter Soldier. Because technically they're supporting characters, but I could see someone make the argument that Winter Soldier is a very important character. He's going to be featured in Thunderbolts. He's been on his own show. I mean, he's there, right? But I'm trying to make the argument here for my opposition, for the people who are saying there's too many females. So I'm going to leave Bucky off the list to, again, you know, make it seem like there's less male characters than there really are. Same thing with Wong. I love Wong. Wong's super important. A lot of cameos. Um, appeared in She-Hulk. Um, really important in you know, Multiverse of Madness. However, I'm going to leave Wong off the list, again, to reduce the amount of males here. Because I'm trying to really be, you know, again, not almost, almost, you know, biased and saying there's too many girls. I'm trying to make that argument, right? But the numbers don't support it. Um, Thor. Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Smart Hawk, Icarus, Black Knight, Blade, Moon Knight. Now, with Black Knight and Blade, those are predominant actors. They're going to have bigger roles in the MCU, right? They're coming. With the rest of the Eternals, I only did Icarus because there's way more Eternal boys than girls anyway. Um, so there's already a bias there. I do think Icarus is going to come back even though he died. Again, a very prominent actor, very strong character, someone that can be very useful in the future of the MCU. I can see him coming back. But a character like Scar, which is basically Hulk's son, we have no idea if that character is going to have any importance in the future of the MCU. We already have Hulk. We already have She-Hulk. So I left Scar off the list, right? Um, Vision, War Machine, Nick Fury, Werewolf from Werewolf by Night, I left. I put this character on the you know the important list because I feel like this character, along with Elsa Bloodstone, are going to be the characters to help introduce a lot of the you know evil horror aspects of the MCU. Again, if you don't think werewolf is is important, then take off Elsa Bloodstone. They're they're one for one. A lot of times in these shows and movies, Marvel's actually doing one for one. They're bringing a prominent male character and a prominent female character on the screen at the same time, creating that balance. Right. Other significant characters. Daredevil, Punisher, Luke Cage. Same thing with Luke Cage. If you think Luke Cage isn't coming back, well, then you can remove, you know, female Iron Fist, who I also have as a significant character on the female side. Mr. Fantastic, Thing, Human Torch, Deadpool, Wolverine, Beast, Professor X, 
Colossus, The Century, The Watcher. The Century is, again, an, an extremely powerful character, possibly the most powerful Marvel character to come into the MCU. Um, the actor was supposed to be um, uh, Glenn from Walking Dead. I hate the fact, I don't know his name off the top of my head. I want to say Steven Yeo. I don't want to mess it up. Uh, I, I think I just did. But the Century is me a really powerful character in the MCU. As, as powerful, if not more powerful, than, than probably Captain Marvel. Um, right up there with Icarus and, and those they're Superman-like characters, basically. So I left Red Guardian off the list because why I love Red Guardian, the great comic relief. I don't think a character like the Sentry and the Red Guardian both deserve the same amount of significance because the Sentry is going to be a character that can do almost anything um, in terms of power. So that's why I did when I came up with my mail list and I got, again, 30 people on there. If you think Howard the Duck matters, you can add him to the list, right? But there's also, like I said, females I left off their list too when it comes to significant characters. The significant female characters... I found 29, just one less, really. And truthfully here, you probably could make an argument there's about 24 females on this list, but I really tried to conclude everyone I thought that anyone can make an argument for this a significant female character to see how many females I can make. And then with male characters, I left off some people like Winter Soldier and Wong that might actually be, you know, noteworthy characters. However, the ratio is 30 to 29. No matter, no matter what I do, I can't fudge numbers anymore, Right. Here are my 29 significant characters moving forward in the MCU. Kate Bishop, Stature, Clea, America Chavez, Jane Foster, Shuri, Nakia, Okayu, Ironheart, Sylvie, Agatha, Elena, She-Hawk, Cersei, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, Spectrum, Gaia, Elsa Bloodstone, Echo, Female Iron Fist, Visible Woman, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Valentina Aguilera Del Fonte, Kahori Sharon Carter. That's my list of 29. So if you wanted to go ahead and add Agent 13, the newer version of Sharon Carter, or I think she's Shannon Carter, I always confuse the two. You actually can make the list 30 and 30 if you include her. The Power Broker is technically her name now, but she's kind of a villain as the Power Broker. So again, by that criteria, she doesn't get off the list. No matter what we do, either way we cut it, there's not an, an overwhelming amount of females in the MCU now. The females have not taken over. There's not going to be a whole female Avengers cast. And mind you, you know, if you think about that scene they call back to at the end of Endgame, which was just you know, a great scene to you know, honor all the female characters, um, there's a lot of those characters that, that wouldn't even be on the team. Like Valkyrie is a character that you could call a significant character, but technically Valkyrie is not going to have her own movie or show. Um, Valkyrie would technically be a supporting character just like Wong. But if you want to, you can add Valkyrie on there and make it 30, make it 31. Lady Sif, I thought, got a lot more shine throughout the films. But again, Lady Sif isn't really a, a supporting character. I, why would I say Lady Sif gets to be on the list but not Wong? That's kind of how I was looking at it. I, I used Wong the most because Wong has gotten a lot of screen time recently as probably the most predominant number one supporting character in all the shows and movies but still, I have to classify Wong as a supporting character for now, um, you know, and I think that's fair. I think Wong would say he's a supporting character, right? I don't think that's a, that's a bad thing. Characters like Darcy Lewis also made the list. Uh, Frigga as the opposite to Odin. But again, they kind of cancel each other out, right? So Jimmy Woo and Darcy Lewis were both on, you know, um, um, uh, WandaVision. So by not having neither one of them on the list, you still have an even number. Um, Odin and Frigga kind of cancel themselves out. Um, Dr. Hank Penn and Janet Van Dyne, um, you know, Wasp's mother, 
um, they kind of cancel each other out. So by not having them both on the list, they're both not there. It still makes everything even. Um, there's definitely not an influx of females over males, but Marvel has made a conscious effort, it's clear, to bring a much closer balance to the MCU, which I think personally is awesome, right? Now, one other thing I found that was pretty interesting was someone else, and I can't confirm these numbers because there's no way I could do all this research. Someone else did a screen breakdown of how much screen time you know these different characters actually have. And in that list, they found a very similar ratio, about 55% to 45% of screen time for male representation and female representation on the screen. So with all that being said, with all the data and all the numbers there, take, you can throw away that last factoid if you don't like it, but you can Google it, right? It's a, it's a nice little pie chart somebody made. Um, I, I just really think this is an interesting conversation to have. I think maybe is is people kind of being alarmed by how many brand new female characters we're seeing. Um, and then, of course, you know, along that list, there might not be characters that you know because they're, they're more recently created characters, characters like Echo, who I'll admit that when I first heard about the character getting a show, I thought, out of all the characters in MCU, why, why would Echo get a show? I don't really know her. She's a new character. So far, I've watched the show twice. I love the show. I love the fact that it's five episodes long. The character had a story that I did not expect. And I think that's the most fun thing about this. When you're learning about characters of different genders, different backgrounds, uh, different sexual orientations, when it comes to diversity, people forget that if you're just enjoying the show and letting the story play out in front of you, you get to experience all kinds of other scenes and things that you may not have pictured in your superhero films and really expand upon you know the, the landscape that we've had in place for like, I don't even know, like 30, 40 years, my, my whole lifetime, right? Um, I love, you know, the, the show Echo. There's some great scenes that show you things even about Native American culture. I have Native American people in my family. I didn't know some of these things. They have a great scene where they're playing a game like lacrosse and they filmed it in IMAX. And it was a very cool scene. How many times have we seen, you know, a basketball game, you know, being played while two characters tell a story or a football game being played, right? Some guys outside throwing a ball around while they're telling a story. And seeing this, you know, um, you know, authentic recreation, as far as I can tell, um, that Marvel looked like they put a lot of time and attention into this scene, beautifully shot in IMAX, um, showing Alabama, which looks like Mexico, basically, in this scene, which I didn't even know that happened. I'm learning something, right? Um, and seeing the lacrosse game played out, I thought it was a great way to show, again, Echo's ancestors and how that ancestor basically, you know, feeds into Echo's current character. And, you know, it's it was a great story that I didn't expect. Um, and it's still you still had your crime fighting and daredevil-like action from the other scenes because she's like a daredevil character. And um, I really enjoyed that, right? So I think this is something that should be, um, you know, definitely appreciated more and, and um, you know, uh, praised. You know, seeing this conscious effort made to bring a more balanced, you know, view of different characters, not only for, you know, the... The little boys and girls growing up out there. But as your current movie audience, when you're going to the theaters, you're sitting at home watching this, typically you are watching this with somebody else and someone else in that room might identify as the opposite gender. Um, and it's cool to have something for everybody. I know for me in my household, my wife loves the Marvel Knights characters, the Punishers, the Daredevils, the, the more grounded characters. She liked even seeing a character like She-Hulk, who definitely could be as strong as the Hulk and thrown in some of those situations, kind of hanging out with Daredevil. Hopefully we'll see more of that character over there. She thought, she thought that was a really funny character, and she also liked the actress from a show called Orphan Black. Um, it's, again, smart move by casting that person, right? But That got my wife involved more into the MCU. 
So, you know, and the other argument I hear is that a lot of females don't watch the MCU. I think right now, the last time I saw a statistic on that, it was like 60% to 40% of the audience is male versus female. But again, this is brand new. These, these female people who are watching this did not grow up with these characters the same way a lot of males did. But 40% in 2024, that's a giant number. It's almost half. So for another 10 years of good storytelling, which is what we're looking at here, who knows? My daughter's growing up in a home where she watches the MCU, and my son is too. And at the end of the day, maybe both, most likely both of them are going to continue watching the MCU, right? So I was really excited to do this piece. I hope this brings some data um, and some unbiasedness to this conversation to kind of paint a clearer picture. Again, if anyone wants to be really hardcore about this review and they break me down, I was trying to add more females to the list to strengthen that argument. That, that, that is actually a bigger gap, maybe about 10 people. It doesn't really matter, but I wanted to bring the data there. I wanted to bring the numbers and really talk about this and have some perspective. I hope you guys enjoyed this segment. I worked hard on it. Peace. Movie of the week. This week, again, I feel like I don't have a great movie, but I'm going to give you some movies, actually. Um, I'm going to basically highlight an actor's career. I'm going to highlight Matthew McConaughey, because actually, instead of a movie this week, I'm watching a show. I'm watching True Detectives Season 1. Now, that's the show I always wanted to check out. Never got around to sitting down and watching it. And I put it on, and season one is absolutely amazing. It's a little slow, but when it hits, it hits. And Woody Harrelson's awesome in the show, but Matthew McConaughey is like on a whole other level on this show. My wife described it as feeling like you're watching one long movie. It feels like it's this really serious movie, which speaks to the production value and the quality of the acting, the seriousness, all the cool scenes in the movie or in the show. Um, it feels awesome, right? And if you don't want to watch True Detective because it's a TV show and you want a real pick movie of the week, I looked through like the top 20 Matthew McConaughey movies for inspiration. And as much as I like Matthew McConaughey, I didn't find any of those movies on that list really be the ones I want to recommend. A Time to Kill, which is like a great movie for Matthew McConaughey. I know I've seen that movie. It's just so sad. I can't... In 2024, I can't watch that movie. I watched that movie when it came out growing up and it was a very rough film. Um, so I can't recommend that as movie of the week. What I actually would recommend, and it's going to seem like blasphemy comparing one to the other. I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying what I like, my, more my speed, more of a fun. I got off of work. My family's sitting around maybe or, you know, I'm, I'm winding down for the night. I'm going, I got to mention Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder is my favorite Matthew McConaughey movie. Uh, he's in the movie enough for me. I feel like he's one of the main characters in that movie. And the movie is so funny and ridiculous. And I think he's amazing in the movie. He's hilarious. I like seeing this side of Matthew McConaughey. I think he's, I think he's awesome in that film. Obviously, his cameo um, or his scene, I don't know if you call it a cameo, Wolf of Wall Street is, is classic. Um, and he has so many impactful scenes like that. So shout out to Matthew McConaughey this week. A lot of love for him. Oh, and you know what? And one of my favorite Matthew McConaughey things is his audiobook. I absolutely love his audiobook, Green Lights. Every time I think about it, I just want to listen to it all over again. Um, I don't do that with a lot of audiobooks, but his voice and his story he tells, the way he tells it, um, it is just such an enjoyable audiobook. Like, I wouldn't want to read that book. I want to listen to him read the book. It is such a great story, so many great perspectives, and um, so, so interesting. Matthew McConaughey, Green Lights, get that on your Audible. That is a must-have, if I ever said it was a must-have Audible book to have in your collection. You'll never hate it. Um, if you like Matthew McConaughey at any level, you're going to love his book. 
So those are my picks for movie of the week. And of course, as I mentioned, check out um, True Detective season one. If you've never seen it, it is phenomenal. Go ahead and stretch. Yeah, go reach for it. Ah, you made it to the after show. Thank you so much. This is the Easter egg. This is the post credit scene. This is where you get to hang out with me and just you know let my hair down and talk to you guys about some regular stuff. Um, thank you guys for rocking with me for 150 episodes. Uh, it's another milestone. Um, you know, I'm not too hyped about it. We're going to keep it moving. Got a lot more to do. Um, this week and this last month has been very productive. We've had, um, you know, the the content I wanted to make for Be Creative with Sammy Rod. Check that out on TikTok. That stuff started coming out. I also started doing this new segment where I'm doing these kind of joke videos on my Instagram um, about working out martial arts. I recorded a whole lot of them. I only posted up one so far, but more of those things are coming out. And I also got back into writing. I'm getting finally some good progress done on one of my books. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I've been real productive, sticking to the podcast. Got things going, got things moving, trying to keep the momentum going in the new year. Um, besides that, you know, my daughter's making awesome progress on the violin. This is why, again, on the side of the podcast, I get into my, my personal life. Um, it was interesting because she started playing back in September. And, um, you know, for the first few months, it doesn't feel like a lot of progress was being made. Because, you know, you're, you're learning. She's getting the muscle memory down. And that was really the whole idea was just like to introduce her to the concept, get used to carrying around the violin case, get used to looking at the book and trying to learn the notes. And I was, I was invested in it thinking this is going to be a, you know, a journey that will take years. Um, but at some point, you know, I knew that she would know what it's like to learn something, to, to invest her personal time into something outside of school. And then that, that skill and that process would be you know, valuable to her, even if it just doesn't play the violin forever. Learning how to learn something on your own um, with a teacher, you know, and then having to do it and chase it, you know, and want to practice more and, you know, having that inside the house so she has that as an option um, was something that was very important to me to, you know, foster that atmosphere with her, me and my wife, obviously, um, doing that. Shout out to my wife, you know, for all the support and everything she does with that, too. Um, definitely is a team effort, you know, and then, you know, listening to her when she wants to show you a piece that she's working on or something that she's doing, giving her that encouragement. These are things I think are so important for, you know, a child at a young age, it can do nothing but help them. Um, and then, you know, in, in, in encouraging them to, to, again, step away from the game, step away from doing what else you're doing, or don't always worry so much about all these other things in life is also find something that you can enjoy and that you can like. And around February now, um, I can see that she's starting to put together, you know, several little songs, several little pieces that she can do. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing to see how those, those you know, um, those brain synapses, you know, connect. And she starts to understand these things and unlock these new things inside of her to do something I don't know how to do. I've never played violin. I'm seeing through her some of the ideas on how to play it. But, of course, I don't know how she knows because she's putting in the hard work. And it's super impressive to me. And I'm so proud of her and I'm so happy to see that going on. I mean, my, my son's been chilling. He's been relaxing, having a good year so far. Almost done his last year in school, which is crazy kind of for me to think. Because um, I, sometimes I feel like I just got out of high school in a lot of ways. And my son's leaving high school soon. Um, you know, just getting out there into the world and becoming a man. And you definitely get nervous as a parent. You know, I, I, again, I feel young. I feel normal. Like I've always felt really in my life. I feel no different now than I felt really when I was maybe 16 or 15. Whenever I started coming into like my current mind space and... 
Um, as a parent, though, you do get more worried about your kids. You always want them to do good and you want to invest time in them and make sure they're safe and stuff like that. That does take up a lot of my energy. And I like doing things like cooking, you know, with my family and taking care of them. These are all things that, you know, don't go into the podcast and the being creative with Samurai stuff so much. But it's a big part of my life. And at the end of the show, that's why I like to share that kind of stuff with you guys and give you those updates if you're interested. Um, also, been doing a lot of exercising. I got a weight bench for the house. And I'm uh, making those videos, those joke videos about martial arts and stuff like that. I've actually been really great for exercising because I do like to entertain. I do like making people laugh when I can. Um, but then getting up and moving and doing physical humor and stuff like that, something I don't normally do, has kind of given me more of a reason to work out. So finding new ways to mix it up and keep it interesting, I think, is always one of the challenges of exercising. So hopefully that keeps going well and we have a lot of fun and maybe a few laughs along the way. Um, and thank you guys so much, basically, for all the support. Again, I don't want to waste too much of your time this week, but... um. You made it this far. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll send me a ride. Peace.